0: <laughs> cheer, 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 cheer. Always like that, man. That that, <laughs> cheer, 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 cheer. You can tell I'm a old school 90s hip-hop fan, man. Well, what's good, ladies and gentlemen? It is your boy, Big L, with another episode of the Page Turners Podcast, man, where we unpack, break down, examine, and just completely have a Uh, in-depth look at books from a black perspective, man. We are currently in the initial book study on black theology and black power by the late great Dr. James H. Cohn. We are still in chapter one, taking our time walking through it, man. Uh, Chapter one is titled Toward a Constructive Definition of Black Power. What we found so far in chapter one, man, has been Dr. James Cohn. Uh just walking through what Black Power is and isn't. Uh just a brief summary on where we are in the book and what the book is about. I'm not gonna spend a whole lot of time, man. We're already six episodes into this book study. So if you you know you have any questions, man, how about you, you know, I mean, take a listen to the other the other five episodes first. Or hit your boy up, man, and I'll do my best that I can to, to examine a book. Now, there's already been some questions, man. Some questions about some of the things that's stated in this particular book. Um, some of the language used is is uh, rather inflammatory to some people. I understand that. Uh, and two things. One, is going to get more inflammatory. Uh, this is a radical book. You have to understand let me paint the, let me give you the full context of the book and the man who wrote this book. Now remember this book was written in 1969. This is the, the, the birth of the, the Black Power movement towards the end of the civil rights movement. Okay, this is the Black Power Movement. This is a far more radical uh, Black movement than the Civil Rights Movement. The Black Power Movement, they were more on the, you know, if you hit me, I'm going to slay you type of mentality, unlike the Civil Rights Movement, which was more of the turn of the cheek. Now, I'm not looking to you know be overly negative towards the civil rights movement like i know a lot of my uh black brothers and sisters can be uh they not we're not big fans of dr king's methods his nonviolent methods but studying history and looking at our people in that time frame it is best to not romanticize Uh, The civil rights movement or put yourself in that perspective and saying what you would have done differently, that you would have taken up arms, that you would have did X, Y, Z, ABC, because the truth of the matter of it is white terrorism was so terrifying to our people at this time. Remember, man, this is they were just taking us out of stores, you know, killing us for any little reason, any which way the wind blows. We complain now about white folks calling the cops on us. That is mild, extremely mild compared to. you got to make sure, man, that you're looking at it. And remember, by reading this book, this is Dr. James Cone trying to understand where his blackness fits within the Christian context. If you read and research some of Dr. Cohn's, uh works after this, some of his articles and journals and things along those lines, there was a time when Dr. Cone was considering leaving the faith because he could not find his blackness within white Christianity. Now, and I think that's important, man, because I think that's a spot that a lot of Black Christians find themselves in, which with each horrific, evil, travesty, uh, or tragedy that takes place against us at the hands of white supremacy, Black Christians find themselves asking some of the very same questions that Dr. Cone is asking. This is a really raw, raw, raw text. This is a very angry, justifiably so, man who is trying to not only find himself within the faith, but he's looking to create a pathway for black Christians after him. And I think he does this. I think this, 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 and I wanted to start with this particular book uh, for the book study uh, for a number of reasons. But one of the big ones is I think it's, it's, is needed in this current climate for black christians who are trying to find their way within the christian faith white evangelicalism has betrayed them or they have become aware of their treachery and 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 they're looking for a way to navigate within the faith they're looking for a voice within the faith and i believe that dr james combe's work is the voice that's needed he gives us the language needed to express ourselves within the christian context allowing us to remain and to to affirm our blackness so i'm gonna dig in the text man i'm gonna dig in the text we're in chapter one black theology and black power by dr james h cohn Chapter one, this particular section in, doc, in in chapter one is titled why integration is not the answer. <laughs> and I'm laughing, man, because as I'm reading this book, man, and going over my notes and, and, and just going through things, I'm seeing uh, where I got my language from, where some of the things that I've said. uh over the past couple of years where I've gotten it and and a lot of the things that I'm reading and and it sounds like things that I've said. I've been a a, a staunch critic of integration for a number of reasons, Uh, but let's dig in the text. And the text reads, why integration is not the answer. Whites are not only bothered about black racism but also about the rejection of integration implied in Black Power. They say, now that we have decided to accept the Negro, he will have no part of it. You see, we knew he really preferred segregation. What then does Black Power say about integration? One Black Power advocate, when a newsman, asked, what about integration? He responded, integration of what? The implication is clear. If integration means accepting the white man's style, his values, or his religion, then the black man must refuse. There is nothing to integrate. The white man, in the very asking of the question, assumes that he has something which blacks want or should want, as if being close to white people enhances the humanity of blacks. (laughs) Yo, (laughs) this question what about integration also completely ignores the beastly behavior of the devil, white man, black people cannot accept relationship on this basis. On the other hand, if integration means that each man meets the other on equal footing with neither possessing the ability to assert the rightness of his style over the other, then mutual meaningful dialogue is possible. And that right there, equal footing. Biblically, This may be called the kingdom of God. Men were not created for separation and color is not the essence of man's humanity. But we're not living in what the New Testament called the consummated kingdom. And even its partial manifestation, manifestation is not too obvious. Therefore, black people cannot live according to what ought to be, but what according, but according to what is. And I'm constantly saying that man to folk. Listen, we got to stop living in fairy tale land. We got to stop searching and and chasing after these fantasies of what could be and working towards what could be. We have to begin to live in the here and now. Currently, again, we live in a segregated society. We as a people must begin to maximize that segregation. Point blank, man. Back to the text. To be sure, Men ought to behave without color as a defining characteristics of their view of humanity, but they do not. Some men can verbally raise above color, but existentially they live according to it. Sometimes without even being conscious of it. There are so few exceptions to this that the universal assertion is virtually untouched. Therefore, to ask blacks to act as if color does not exist, to be integrated into white society, is asking them to ignore both the history of white America and present realities. Laws may be passed, but only whites have the power to enforce them. Instead, in order for the oppressed blacks to regain their identity, they must affirm the very characteristics which the oppressor ridicules, blackness. Until white America is able to accept the beauty of blackness, there can be no peace, no integration in the higher sense. Black people must withdraw and form their own culture, their own way of life. Until white America is able to accept the beauty of blackness. And that's, listen man, when he says this, what he's not saying is, they can't, he's not saying once they begin to culturally appropriate what we do here, to appropriate our blackness, just because they talking about brains and 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 want to put mustard and relish in their potato salad, and you know they they listen to hip hop or they have a, a a sexual affinity for black men and women, that's not accepting our blackness. That's just using us for a good damn time. Back to the text. In the present situation, while many of the mainline civil rights workers have promoted Black identity by courageously fighting against an apparent immovable status quo, the idea of integration at this stage too easily lends itself to supporting the moral superiority of white society. Negro parents in the South never speak of sending their children to the integrated schools. They say, my child is going to the white school. No white children are integrated into Negro schools. Since integration is only a one-way street that Negroes travel up to where whites, institutions then inherent in the situation itself is the implied inferiority of black man. What is needed then is not integration, but a sense of worth in being black. Only black people can teach that. Black consciousness is the key to black man's emancipation from his distorted self-image. As previously noted, some have called this racism in reverse, but this is merely a social myth created by the white man to ease his guilt by accusing blacks of the same brutalities he himself has inflicted. The withdrawal of blacks is, necessary, is a necessary counterattack to overt voluntarily white racism. Furthermore, there is no way for blacks to politically enforce their attitudes, even if they were destructive of whites. But whites can and do enforce their attitudes upon blacks. Black identity is survival, while white racism is exploitation. Black power then must say no to whites who invite them to share in their humanity toward black people. Instead, it must affirm the beauty of blackness, and by doing, by so doing, free the black man for a self-affirmation. A self-affirmation excuse me, family. Man, for a self affirmation of his own being as a black man, whites cannot teach this. I want to continue to the next section of chapter one. This next section is titled Is there an appropriate response to white racism? This is a question I know a lot of people ask. This is all school, be translated as What's the solution to white supremacy? How do we respond to what white supremacy is doing? Is there an appropriate response to white racism? The text reads, the asking of this question is inevitable. Whites want to know whether black power is an appropriate response to their bigotry. It is indeed interesting that they, the oppressors, should ask this question. Since whatever response blacks makes is nothing but a survival reaction to white oppression. It is time for whites to realize that. The oppressor is in no position whatsoever to define the proper response to enslavement. He is not the slave, but the enslaver. And if sla- if the slave should choose to risk death rather than submit to the humiliating orders of the master, then that is his right. Bigger Thomas in Richard White's native son demonstrates this choice when inter interior, Lord have mercy. Mm, mm, mm. Bigger Thomas and Richard Wright's native son demonstrates this choice when interrogated by white policemen who wanted him to confess to raping a white girl. Come on now, boy. We treated you pretty nice. But we can get tough if we have to, see? It's up to you. Get over there by that bed. Show us how you raped and murdered that girl. I didn't rape her, Bigger said through stiff lips. Oh, come on. What you got to lose? Show us what you did. I don't want to. You have to. I don't have to. Well, we'll make you. You can't make me do nothing but die. You can't make me do nothing but die. That is the key to understanding of black power. Any advice from whites to blacks on how to deal with white oppression is automatically under suspicion as a clever device to further enslavement. Man, whenever white folks is giving you advice on how to solve white supremacy and how to fight white supremacy, it should automatically be under suspicion as a clever device to further enslavement. Furthermore, it is white intellectual arrogance which assumes that it has a monopoly on intelligence and moral judgment. How can one explain the shocked indignation when the Kerner Report declared that race prejudice has shaped our history decisively? After all, Baldwin, Wright, Du Bois, and a host of other black writers have been saying for decades that racism is woven into the whole pattern of American society. Evidently, the judgments of black people are not to be taken seriously. The real menace in white intellectual arrogance is the dangerous assumption that the structure that enslaves is a structure that will also decide when and how the slavery is to be abolished. The sociological and physical and psychological reports made by most white scholars assume that they know more about my frustration, my despair, my hatred for white society than I do. They want to supply the prescriptions to my problems, refusing to recognize that for over 300 years, blacks have listened to them and their reports, and we are still degraded. Time has come for white Americans to be silent and to listen to black people. Man, but black folks don't want that. Black folks don't want white people to shut up in your car. Black folks want white people to come through and save them. They want them to listen. Why must a white man assume that he has the intellectual ability or moral sensitivity to know what blacks feel or to ease the pain, to soothe the hurt, to eradicate the resentment, since he knows that he raped our women, dehumanized our men, and made it inevitable that black children should hate their blackness. He ought to understand why blacks must cease listening to him in order to be free. Since whites do not know the extent of black suffering, they can only speak from their own perspective, which they call reason. (laughs) This probably accounts for white appeals to nonviolence and Christian love. The Christian understanding of love is discussed later on in chapter two. White people should not even expect blacks to love them. And to ask for it merely adds insults to injury. For the white man, writes Malcolm X, to ask the black man if he hates him is just like the rapist asking the rape, did you hate me? The white man is in no moral position to accuse anyone else of hate. Whatever blacks feel toward whites or whatever their response to white racism, it cannot be submitted to the judgments of white society. When a white man asks, is black power to answer or says it takes time? Wait, let's talk it over and solve this problem together? I feel the same way as you do, but I must conclude that he is talking from a different perspective. There is no way in the world I can get him to see that he is the problem, not me. He has shaped my response. Bennett then is right when he states, we do not come with the right answers to our problems because we seldom ask ourselves the right questions. There is no Negro problem in America. There has never been a Negro problem in America. The problem of race in America is a white problem. To understand that problem and to control it, we must address ourselves to the fears and frailties of white people. We learn nothing really from the study of Harlem. To understand Harlem, we must go not to Harlem, but to the conscience of good white people. We must ask not what is Harlem, but what have you made of Harlem? Why did you create it and why do you need it? Therefore, when blacks are confronted by whites, who want to help with the Black problem by giving advice or an appropriate response. Whites should not be surprised if Blacks respond. We wish to plead our own case. Too long have others spoken for us. Excuse me, just a second, family. Excuse me. I am not prepared to talk seriously with a man who essentially says, I sit on a man's back choking him, making him carry me, and yet assure myself and others that I am very sorry for him and wish to lighten his load by all possible means except by getting off his back. <coughs> man, it's a little bit of cough, man. I want to read that section one more time, though, because I think it's very, very important. Because one of the things that we see some of you guys have what you call white allies, some of you guys have what you call good white people in your life. Matter of fact, some of y'all who might be listening to us is laid up next to your white wife or your white husband. Some of y'all might be having some have some biracial children. Some of y'all might secretly racially fetish, have a racial fetish for white people. Some of y'all just might like y'all butter biscuits extra buttery from white people. Some of y'all just might love white people a whole hell of a lot more than you like black people. So some of these white people consistently are asking you. In a half-assed, half-hearted, not really serious, BS sort of way, what can we do to help? Here's the response that you should be giving, them. but you ain't going to give them this because, well, let me give you the response. The response should be, we wish to plead our own case. Too long have others spoken for us. I'm not prepared to talk seriously with a man who essentially says, I sit on a man's back choking him making him carry me, yet assure myself and others that I am very sorry for him and wish to lighten his load by all possible means except by getting off his black. Blacks must demand that whites get off their backs. If whites do not get off the backs of blacks, they must expect that blacks will literally throw them off by whatever means are at their disposal. This is the meaning of black power. Depending on the response of whites, it means that emancipation may even have to take the form of outright rebellion. No one can really say what form the oppressed must take in relieving their oppression. But if blacks are pushed to the point of unendurable pain, with no option but violent affirm- affirmation of their own being, then violence is to be expected. Violence is a personal necessity for the oppressed, writes John Raleigh in his analysis of Richard Wright's native son. When life in society consists of humiliation, one's only rescue is through rebellion. It is not a strategy consciously derived. It is the deep instinctive expression of a human being denied individuality. Yet expression of the rebellion can be liberating. Or again, as Bennett says, the boundary of freedom is man's power to say no. And whoever refuses to say say no, involves himself tragically in his own degradation. Black power says no. (laughs) Dr. Cone was on it, family. On it. That concludes our reading for the night, man. I'm going to stop here. We got a couple more sections left of chapter one, man before we get into chapter two where we begin to talk more theology. Again, the title of this book is called Black Theology and Black Power. He lays the foundation for what black power is and isn't before he dives in and unpacks black theology. The next section that we'll be having on episode seven is how does black power relate to white guilt? How does black power relate Relate to white guilt. (laughs) Man, listen, it's crucial, family, that you share this information with your people, even if it's just you and your wife listening, sharing in a group, sharing in messages, sharing however you can. This is a conversation that we want to begin to have. It's imperative that we begin to unpack our Christian faith To make sure that it is our Christian faith. It's your boy Big L with another episode of the Page Turner's Podcast. The book study we are studying. Black theology and black power by Dr. James H. Cone. I am out till the next episode, man. See you in episode seven.